Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's philanthropic community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things and making a big difference in our community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that has touched many people across the country in one way or another. It's a topic that I have talked about before on the show when we've shared an individual's journey or a family's personal experience, which included how certain nonprofits helped them along the way. I've heard some people say that this topic is a six letter word starting with C that no one wants to talk about, no one wants to hear. The topic that we're gonna talk about today is cancer. And it seems like every time I turn around, I hear of another individual diagnosed, either someone is asking for prayer for a loved one or an acquaintance or a friend gets that dreaded call with the diagnosis. Or in my case, it was a family member. Actually, it was two, my mom and my sister who struggled with the disease. In 2021, there was an estimated 1.9 million million new cancer cases diagnosed and just over 608,000 608, cancer deaths in the United States. I recently found out that there are well over 100 different known cancers that affect humans. I wasn't even aware of that fact. Obviously, we can't talk about all of them. So today we're going to talk specifically about one form of cancer. And you'll have the opportunity to hear from two different families about their emotional journeys and all the great things that have resulted from them stepping up and stepping out to make a difference in the lives of others. My first guests today are Kara Olson and Jerry Wolf. Kara is our very own director of HR at EIG. And dad is along today too. Welcome, Jerry. They're here to talk with us about the Eric Wolf Fellowship. So welcome to the show today, Kara and Jerry. Thanks, Jill. Um, we're so happy to be here and are just very grateful that uh, we're able to be on your show and talk about really our journey and all the things that we're doing uh, so that other families don't go through what we've gone through. Absolutely. Well, I like, usually what I like to do is have guests share with our audience why they do what they do. And you, or the Wolf family, you have a very personal why, and it's very emotional. I'm, I'm sure it's been difficult for you, but the important thing is what you've done with your pain and how you've used it to make a difference for others. Like you said, Kara, can you start by sharing your story with us? Yeah, I would, I would love to. Well, um, my brother, Eric, uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor at the age of 23, and it was a primary brain tumor. Uh, so that was where it was. It wasn't a secondary. It was a primary brain tumor at the age of 23. Um, and at the time, he was a grad student at UW-Madison, a graphic artist. He was very creative, very innovative. I mean, just full of energy, a practical joker, right? I mean, just a great older brother with the practical jokers, by the way. <laughs> um, and and he just started having just some odd symptoms, right? He'd have these, we learned later, they were like these little seizures that he was having, kind of these pauses. 
And, and he talked about this metallic taste in his mouth. And so my parents said, well, we, we gotta, we gotta check this out. You know, something must be going on. And, and sure enough, um, through a number of, of tests, it came back a, a shocking uh, diagnosis that it was a, a brain tumor and that it was malignant. And um, we were, we were just stunned uh, that that had, had happened, you know, and, and here he is 23, right. And he went through some in- incredible treatment, right. Um, yes, he did. At UW Madison, uh, you know, radiation, chemotherapy, surgery, and, um, you know, they took really great care of him at, at UW Madison. And it was it was great that he was there, right? He was a student there and he had the opportunity to just kind of stay in his backyard and be at a, a world-renowned facility and and have his treatment there where he was surrounded by his his network of, of people. And it's uh, happened for a reason, right? Right, right. Yeah. And and you know, those it, it happens a lot, right? With with I think with cancer, you 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 go through a lot of the treatment and you you get excited about there's you know no evidence of disease. And that that was part of Eric's journey, right? That we yes. celebrated. Absolutely. And it was we got this and he's beat this. He 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 took that diagnosis like a champ, right? I mean, it was he never asked why. He he never asked, you know, why me? He he just went, all right, let's just focus on fighting it. And it was brutal at times. And, and then there's no evidence, but cancer comes back at, at times and it just is relentless. And, and that was unfortunately what had happened. It, it came back and, um, you know, he, he, he lost his battle then after five years. Yeah. Yeah. It was five years. And I don't mean to forgive me if I, if it sounded like I was minimizing when I said all things happen for a reason, what I meant is that he was in a renowned cancer uh, facility or, or a well-known, a place that could really embrace what it was that he was going through. That's what I meant were, you know, all things happen. And I think it's interesting for people to understand that it wasn't an obvious thing, you know, that, that you may be experiencing something that just, you just feel off that it might just, something may just not feel right. And the importance of early diagnosis, I'm sure, you know, everybody, that deals with cancer, they, they've heard that, you know, the importance of early diagnosis. So I would say, you know, what I hear from your story is that, you know, it wasn't that Eric was deathly ill right away, that he had some symptoms that you had to kind of uncover what was going on, right? Absolutely. And I think that's why we were very lucky to your point, right? UW-Madison was right there. It's a teaching hospital. Um, and with something like this, it was an opportunity, you know, to really make sure that we were he had the best treatment and and uh, plan uh, that that his doctors and surgeons and oncologists, you know, could really do the best that that they could, especially at that time. Yeah, and I have to say, Kara, I love to see your face when you're talking about your brother because you can just see the joy and oh, dad yeah. too. You know, yeah. they're they're um, they're not here with us to tell the story, but you have such. Um, you could just see it, you know, countenance is such that you're, you're joyful when you say his name mm-hmm. and, you know, all good things come, come uh, to the forefront when you're thinking about, about Eric. Um, tell us why you're so passionate about the research side of things. Yeah, I think from the research side, it was, again, you know, he, he lost his, his battle and we, we said, well, what can, what can we do, right? How, how do we keep his memory alive? And um, at the time, you know, there really, it, it, it was, here's the treatment plan. And there, there wasn't anything more that they could do for my brother and my dad's son, right? I mean, it was just, there was nothing more they could do. And so I think for us, it was, 
what else can we do? How do we how do we get the research going so that they can find a cure? And that has been our journey now to say, how do we find a cure? And the best way to find a cure is through research and funding, right, to find that cure. Well, that leads to the events uh, that you guys hold in order to raise money for this research that you pass along. So why and how did you decide to start this Golf for Wolf and Run with Wolves? Well, we wanted to start the golf, uh, the golf for Wolf because Eric really liked to play golf. He wasn't really good at it, but <laughs> he really liked to play golf. And uh, he actually, he was a better racquetball player than he was a golfer. But uh, he liked to play golf. We used to golf at University Ridge. And we used to golf at some of the other golf courses up in Madison. And, and uh, we just enjoyed it and uh, enjoyed the, the time together uh, during this five-year period of time that, that we had with him uh, before he passed away. We've been at various courses, but uh, we usually end up with somewhere around 120 golfers. And uh, it takes about four and a half or five hours to play. And then what we usually do is have a dinner afterwards and auction items and raffle items. And through the years, it's been really an interesting event because once people come to that event, they always say they'll never miss it again. I'm sure. Because that's because they like what we're doing and they like uh, the way the event is, is being handled. Many people have called it a family reunion, which we absolutely love um, when people have been there to say, hey, I, fe I feel like I'm, I'm part of the pack, I'm part of the family uh, and come back, like you said, year over year and say, I'm never gonna miss it. It's an opportunity for me to be with, I bring my family members, maybe I'm honoring somebody, remembering somebody who has, you know, been lost to to this horrible disease, and it's just a really great community to come together. It's a great way to to honor your brother and to perpetuate his memory. I think it's yeah. it's wonderful. And he had a saying that uh, it's always a great day for golf, right? No matter if it was raining, sunny, it didn't matter. It's always a great day for golf. So we've kind of taken that mantra uh, forward. There you go. There you go. Well, you've been raising money to find a cure for more than two decades, I understand. How how have you kept the momentum going then all these years? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, I think it's twofold. I think it's um, it's a lot around um, we're, we're driven and we're really passionate about the cause. And there are we've met so many people that have been impacted by even specifically brain cancer, even though it is it is, um, you know, approximately 90,000 people, you know, each year receive a primary brain tumor diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, it, I think events like this give, give people hope, uh, give people a sense of making a difference and it's doing something. It feels like they're doing something right. And for us, you know, we started the, the golf outing. We hold that every June um, and then said, I wanted to do a sister event. If I'm not a golfer, you know, is there, a, a, is there another event? And so we started Run With Wolves as well. Uh, which is an opportunity to do a run walk. It's a 5K run walk. And and I love calling it the sister event to it as well, yes. right? Yes. And, and it, but it was a way that other people could participate and bring a team and bring their neighbors and their family and surround those and celebrate. And again, feel like they're making a difference. And so it, it's around the incredible people that come, the companies, the organizations that support the event. And, you know, we we, we infuse as much 
fun knowing that we're raising money for hope and for a cure. And we have Bucky Badger there at times. We've had the Racing Sausages there at times. We've got a lot of food and live music and, you know, um, really try to make it a special and unique event um, and, and have just kept it going for two decades. And I think a lot of that's my dad's energy of just not stopping, not stopping. I'm sure. Nothing never. like a, nothing like a dad's love to keep that, to keep that thing going. And you're increasing yep. awareness, right? You know, people need to know about these statistics and then, uh, you know, try and find ways to, to help the funds that you're raising are most definitely making a difference. And we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we return, we're going to hear about the breakthroughs that are happening at the UW Carbone Cancer Center in Madison. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking today with Jerry Wolf and Kara Olson from the Eric Wolf Fellowship. So let's talk about the research. You know, you tell us, I want to hear more about the funds and what they're doing at the UW Carbone Cancer Center. How are your funds making a difference? I think um, a, a number of ways, right? I think when we think about brain cancer, and you, you talked about it, Jill, right? In the beginning, there are so many, unfortunately, so many different types of, of cancers. Um, there's even a hundred plus different primary brain tumors that are that are out there, right? It's it's just it's disheartening. And so for us, again, the research was to say, how do we find a cure? How do we put funds towards it so that you know people don't have to go through this and that there are more survivors? And so again, UW Carbone Cancer Center is is such an amazing facility around their their research, their their um, clinical trials, and so and it's and brain cancer is one of the more underfunded cancers. So it made a lot of sense to say let's let's really drive that that home and um, and so we started you know decades ago of of wanting to put money towards that and and it's slow progress right it's it's been a, a climb like when you talk about research and the and the progress that's made um, over the years right it's it's slow and we've we've worked with them on a, on a number of different ways um, to continue to put money towards towards research and again progress it it's, it's still going forward. You're still making progress. Yes. You think about what's all involved in the research. Oh my goodness. And it takes, I'm sure there's a lot that, that goes into that, but the bottom line is you're making progress. That's the important thing. So um, give us a little bit more of an idea about that progress and, and um, how that's the difference that it's made for brain cancer patients. Right. So uh, one of the things that I I wanted to make sure that I, that I shared is, you know, the UW uh, Health System has recently made uh, a really exciting, game-changing uh, announcement, uh, and it's a new uh, radiation therapy. It's called proton beam radiation, uh, and UW will be one of the first in the world to have an upright chair um, that will deliver radiation using the proton beam machine, if you will, right? And uh, they're actually developing a, a new uh, complex uh, for it as well, and it will be operational in 2024. 20, uh, 
and the Eric Wolf Fellowship. Um, we're thrilled that we, we, we see the progress that a, a proton beam radiation therapy will do, um, and we are contributing the funds that we have raised over the past two decades to um, bring this game-changing therapy to, um, to patients. And it's not just for brain, it's to any and all very, very specific cancers. And part of it, and, and we've had to learn, right? We're not medical people, but we've had to learn a little bit more ab about it. And, and Proton Beam gives that very precise, very direct um, dose of radiation exactly to the cancerous cells. And and in, in history, right, you you're laying down and you know there's there's times when kids kids don't want to lay down and, and be still. People who are, you know, just their hearts can't handle it, you know, all those other things that go with it. And so to have a chair that is that will be able to have patients be upright, be interacting face to face with their physician and fighting the disease with their physician versus lying down and kind of, you know, having this hundreds of pounds of machinery around you, it's a much more humane way to deliver the radiation and it's going directly to the cancer cells and it's not going to be affecting the other vital organs around what they're going towards, right? So it's just this unbelievable precise way to deliver. And you know, that's a huge game changer in in the in the world. And for us to be able to say it's going to be here in Wisconsin. Yes. Um, that we're a part thinking. of it. Yeah. Right? All the people that have donated and supported this cause here is um, one way that we're really making a difference. And how perfect, you know, it was where Eric spent his, his, uh, his schooling years. And right. again, that, you know, there was a reason that he was where he was. And exactly. to hear that it's the first in the world, that's really, that's really fascinating. Um, there's so much that we can talk about. We're just kind of hitting the, the tip of the iceberg here. But what are your future goals for your organization? Well, our future goals are very simple. We're going to, uh, we're going to continue uh, with the, uh, the golf event in June. We're going to continue uh, to do the Run with Wolves in September because we've been very successful at it, and we have a very loyal fo uh, following. Uh, we have the same people contributing every year and joining us every year for the run walk and for the golf outing. And so the golf outing is always in July and the Run June. with Wolves yes. June, and the Run with Wolves is always in September. September. Okay. And the reason why we have the golf outing in June is because uh, uh, Eric Eric's birthday was the 26th of June. Oh, nice. So we always try okay. to have the golf outing about the same time as his birthday. Some very years nice. it's on his birthday. Some years it's not on his birthday, but it's very close. And so that's one of the one of the reasons why we have it at that time of year. Okay. And, uh, we're very, very fortunate. When we first started off, we started off with a professorship. And all of the funds that we had uh, raised to, at that point, they just used the interest on the funds and the dollars we had at the foundation. And then as we got uh, more money into the funds, we switched it over to a fellowship. And that meant that we uh, would fund a fellow to do clinical trials, to do uh, research. And now we're moving on to the next, the next phase, which is for this proton uh, radiation. And we are directing all of our funds to the development 
of of the chair to the development of this of this uh, proton machine. So right. that's where our money's going, and and we're hoping that we can continue to raise a lot of money. And there's one other thing that I'm I'm going to work on, and I, I I hope your listeners that uh, have a passion for and uh, you know contributing to nonprofits, and that is annually to do a Eric Wolf Fellowship fundraiser. And it would be independent from the golf outing and so on. And we're looking for companies that want to partner with us to contribute to this uh, worthy cause. And that's what we're trying to do with, with sharing this stuff on your program. Wonderful. Well, to end the episode then, because again, we could continue on with all this good information, but we want to give our audience a call to action. If you're listening today and you want to help out, you want to contribute to all the great things that Kara and Jerry and their fellowship are doing, um, we want you to share that. So what would you say your call to action is for our listeners? Yes, um, it really is to... Uh, get involved, right? Check out our website. It is the best place to find out information about our organization. And that's um, at runwithwolves.org. And wolves is spelled W-O-L-F-E-S because that was their last name, right? So it's runwithwolves.org. It has our story. It has many stories of others that have been touched um, by the horrific disease. It talks about our events, it talks about how you can get involved, how you can participate, how you can donate, how you can sponsor, how you can volunteer uh, and be part of the pack. So I encourage uh, anybody to take a look um, and uh, uh, reach out and contact us if you have any questions. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Okay, wonderful. And again, they can contact you through the runwithwolves.org uh, website. Yes. Yes. That's right. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kara and Jerry, for sharing your story uh, and all the ways that you're making an impact with the journey uh, of, of Eric's um, cancer battle. So thank you for sharing uh, with us today. Thank you for having us, Joe. Thank you. You are welcome. Well, the Run Walk has grown to include many teams who participate in honor of their loved ones who have been affected by this terrible disease. And uh, Kira and Jerry talked about the run walk a a little bit. That's exactly the opportunity that our next guest was looking for after their 14-year-old daughter, Laura, died suddenly from a rare and aggressive cancerous brain tumor in 2009. So stay tuned to hear about this family's impactful journey when we return. We'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and my next guest is here to tell her very emotional, very inspiring and impactful story of her daughter, Laura. Welcome to the show today, Susan Angel Miller. Thank you so much, Jill. I really appreciate being here today to share our story. Well, we're looking forward to to hearing about Laura. Uh, When I first met you, I told you that I loved your middle name, right? Susan Angel Miller. You said that it's actually your maiden name, right? Well, I believe that you were an angel sent to help your daughter through her journey. 
Um, tell us about what happened to your daughter, Laura. Okay, well, um, so back in January of 2009, our oldest daughter, Laura, was um, a first semester freshman at Nicolet High School. She was just finishing up with her exams and history and science fair projects. And she started complaining about some headaches. Um, we gave her some Tylenol, the headaches didn't go away. And she called us a few times to pick her up from school, which was really unusual. And my mom radar just started going off when they got worse. And one morning she was sleeping next to me in my bed. And that morning she ended up throwing up several times. She asked me why I had four eyes and she had a seizure all within about an hour's time. Mm -hmm. So obviously um, I called 911 and the paramedics arrived, were able to um, resuscitate her. And we uh, rushed basically to uh, Children's Hospital where um, a few minutes later, uh, they did a CT scan and the doctor came into the room and told me that Laura had a mass at the back of her head. And I remember feeling shocked, but also thinking to myself, okay, um, they'll be able to remove it. It'll be benign and everything will go back to normal because that's just how things worked in our family. You know, we had our bumps and bruises along the way, but in general, things worked out well for our family. Well, later that day, uh, the, uh, an MRI showed that the brain tumor could be removed um, and it could be operated on in two days on a Friday when the operating room became available. Unfortunately, the headaches continued to get worse that evening and they gave her some pain medicine and she didn't have a good reaction to that. And all of a sudden she stopped breathing. My husband and I were in the room when that happened. They rushed her down to uh, put a shunt in her head to relieve the pressure in her brain. Um, and when the doctor came out, he um, told us that the procedure went okay, but she wasn't responding the way they'd like. The next thing we knew, we were up in the ICU room and Laura was attached to every machine and tube and all the beeping. And, and I just looked at Laura and I could just sense as a mom that she wasn't there. But we wouldn't really learn that until about three or four days later of being in the hospital and just having that waiting game. It was just a horrific four days. Um, and then when they finally did their last MRI on that Saturday morning, February 21st, the neurosurgeon told us that in no uncertain terms, the brain tumor had caused irre irreversible damage and she was no longer um, living. It, it was She was considered legally brain dead. So, you know, it, it's it's hard to describe the feelings that go through you when you hear something like this. It's something unthinkable. She had been in school on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, worrying about her Spanish homework and complaining about headaches. And all of a sudden, this is four days later, and she is um, passed away from a cancerous brain tumor that we didn't know existed a week prior. Mm. So it is something that's kind of unthinkable, but it actually did happen. It sounds like, Susan, your your lovely daughter, Laura, was a wonderful gal. Uh, I think what that tells me is that in Eric's story, um, they, they had no um, symptoms that showed themselves quickly. It was kind of a, a gradual uh, process. And with your Laura, it happened so quickly. Um, 
first of all, my condolences, because I, I cannot even imagine what that must have been like as a mother watching your, your daughter go through that. Um, help us to get to know Laura. You know, what was she like? Thank you for giving me that opportunity, because oftentimes when uh, oftentimes people don't want to bring up, you know, that topic and they think it's going to make you sad by bringing up um, your loved one's loss. And I find it actually absolutely the opposite. I love talking about Laura. I'm still her proud mama. And I, I just I love kind of bragging about who she was. And she was our oldest daughter. And we all know how special our oldest children are. And she um she was a very academically motivated student and she loved fashion and writing and she would design uh, fashion drawings um, and she wanted to create her own dresses and she wanted to be editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine. So she was wow. a very kind soul as well and always wanted to befriend the kids that didn't have a friend. Mm, wonderful. That's It's so nice for us to get to know uh, the individual better, you know, by, by, again, by sharing more about her, you know, she had a big impact in all of your lives and continually uh, will, right? I often say that she is in every cell of our DNA. There She's you go. all around us all the time. And we talk, uh, talk about her, joke about her. We bring her up whenever we can. Uh, as well, you should. That's wonderful. Um, but there's no denying that you went through a grieving process. Um, how did you manage your own grief and, and the grief of your family? Well, it, it was definitely a day-to-day -day process. Um, those first couple of weeks and months actually were just a fog. And we really had to just trust our gut and figure out what we needed as a family and also individually. And we had to really model for other people what we needed and to obviously bring up Laura's name if we wanted to talk about her. Um, and we needed to accept help as well from the family and friends around us. And they really came to our help. And it really made me realize how important community is and how volunteering in the community really helps build that community. And um, it really came back to us in spades. We felt an embrace of community. And I'll never forget that. I think it's so important uh, that people understand that they should not be afraid to reach out, that there are so many people that can help you or point you in the right direction. Uh, and you actually uh, took that process a step further uh, in wanting to help other people navigate through that, that grieving process. And you wrote, you wrote a book, correct? I did. I had so many thoughts swirling around in my head. Um, and I started writing down my thoughts and then decided I really needed to write a book um, to share my story and also the wisdom that I had learned through going through and confronting the emotions surrounding her death. I mean, I, I found out that there's this concept of post-traumatic growth, actually, that happens to the majority of people that go through a tragedy or a trauma. And, you know, most people have never heard of that term. And what it is, it's it, everyone's heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, but post-traumatic growth is this concept that when you go through tragedy or trauma, you have a renewed sense of gratitude for life. You have, you're more open to spirituality. You have deeper friendships. You are just, you don't sweat the small stuff as much. And I have to say, when I learned that, I Googled the, the term and I went, check, check, check. We had experienced a lot of these attributes. And it's not to say that we would ever have wanted Laura to die to achieve that wisdom or growth. 
But I think I've learned in, when I talk about my book to groups, I want to make sure people give themselves that permission to recognize the the slivers of hope and and joy and learning that have come out of the tragedy that you can hold different emotions in your hands at the same time you can be happy and you can also be sad you can be courageous and you can also be fearful that's what life is about it's messy it's not like a straight line of grief where all of a sudden it gets better it's with you all the time it just changes over time yeah. And an, another mom who lost her son to brain cancer, uh, when we interviewed her, we talked about this process of turning pain into purpose. And it kind of is an extension of, of what I hear you saying is that, yes, we wouldn't want, wish this on anyone, nor would we want to go through it ourselves, but you did. And, and now you want to turn that around and say, okay, now how can I help? Or as Kara mentioned before, we wouldn't want anybody to go through what we went through. So what can we do uh, to help with research or, you know, in whatever way, um, if people want to get a hold of your book, share with us how they can do that. Sure. Well, the, the name of the book is Permission to Thrive, My Journey from Grief to Growth. And it's available at all your, you know, favorite bookstores and also on Amazon. I actually recorded the audiobook myself and it's available on ebook. And please feel free to, um, you know, follow me on Facebook and all the social media. And you can go to my website at SusanAngelMiller.com. And I, I just felt like a lot of people have benefited from some of the wisdom that um, I've learned and I'm happy to share it with you as well. I'm sure they have. And I, we appreciate you sharing your experiences. Um, you told me when we first met that you had a very tough but important decision that you had to make on Laura's behalf. And it's something very near and dear to your heart that you want to be sure others are aware of. So stay tuned because when we return from commercial break, Susan is going to share what that important decision was and the impact that it made on her family. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. I'm the director of community outreach, and I'm talking in this last segment with Susan Angel Miller. Love that name. Susan, you had to make a very tough and yet very important decision on Laura's behalf. Can you share what that was with our audience? Sure. So when we learned that Laura was legally brain dead, we went up to the family waiting room where um, you know all of our family had gathered to support us. And in the next few minutes, a woman in a white coat, a nurse came in and gave us our first condolences and then asked us very nicely if we would consider donating Laura's organs in order to help save someone else's life, actually to help potentially save multiple lives. And we didn't know what to say to the question. Um, we never expected this to happen to our family, but we did think organ donation was a noble, generous concept that we thought about you know, in the abstract, never thinking it would really affect our family and we'd have to make a decision for our daughter who had just been um, alive four days before and at school. But we talked with her, we talked to our rabbi who was sitting in the room and he, he made us realize that, um, especially according to our religion, saving one life means saving the world. 
And we thought that that concept was very profound. And our daughter, our other daughter, our, our middle daughter, Sarah was in the room with us at the time. And she said to us with a passion I'll never forget is she said, you know, mom and dad, why wouldn't you donate Laura's organs if they could save a life? And her standing there pleading with us really made us decide, yes, how can we not do this? So fast forward, um, a, a, a recipient was found um, all the way across the country in New York, which was very unusual. And we learned later over the next year and a half after all of, we all waived our confidentiality to our privacy that um, we were able to talk with this woman. Her name is Trish O'Neill and she lives in upstate New York. And she had gone to the number one spot on the liver transplant list. And she was just hours from not surviving, from uh, dying when Laura's liver was shipped across the country in an airplane and transplanted into Trish. Um, and she was, Trish was 40 years old at the time. And now 13 years later, she's 53 and doing amazingly well, healthy. And we feel such meaning has come out of this story for our family. Part of Laura is still living. Mm. I, I'd ask you to share some statistics about organ donation, because I, for one, uh, am not as familiar with it. And I think um, you can shed some light on that. What, what have you found during this, this journey you've been on? Sure. Well, I've learned overall that there's just this critical organ shortage out there. Um, 40,000 transplants are performed, were performed in 2021, which is pretty amazing, all that life-saving work that's going on. Um, however, 105,000 men, women, and children are on the national transplant waiting list right now. 17 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, and every nine minutes, another person is added to this waiting list. So there's an incredible shortage of organs, and what we decided and what my daughter Sarah decided after Laura passed away is that we needed to turn that pain into purpose. And how we started doing that is that Sarah, when she was a freshman in college, she could not find an organization that advocated on behalf of organ donation. And so she started one. That was in 2014. And in the last, what is this, eight years, they now, it's now become a nonprofit, a nationwide nonprofit, and there are 45 high school and college chapters across the country that are SOTA chapters, and SOTA stands for Student Organ Donation Advocates, and it's truly amazing how they now have turned these high school and college students into advocates um, on behalf of organ donation, teaching and educating their peers about how important it is to register at the, the Department of Motor Vehicles, to go on their, their um, health app on their iPhone, to go to registerme.org. You know, they really have taken this to a whole new level of, of advocating to try to save lives. It's yeah. as simple as that. And didn't you say that uh, because of Laura's age, she herself couldn't register? Exactly. Um, Laura was only 14 and a half years old at the time she died. She hadn't even been old enough to register and make that decision herself at the DMV. Um, and we had talked to Laura about a lot of different adult topics, but never had thought about talking to her about the concept of organ donation. But because we knew Laura's kind of kind soul and 
and how she wanted to do good in the world, we just thought that this would be a perfect legacy for her to leave. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, as I mentioned in uh, uh, Kira and Jerry's segment, we we could go on and on about these topics because they're so important and uh, it's good for people to know. I, I would say that um, if people want to reach out, they could probably Google more on organ donation uh, and probably yeah. reach out to you for more information as well, right? It, absolutely. They can also go to sodanational.org. And they can have very specific information about how to start a high school or college chapter. And all of this information that I just talked about, quoted these statistics, is right there in a very easy to way read. And really, there's such a local connection here. Um, they have 45 chapters across the country, but there are five chapters right here in Wisconsin that have soda chapters, including Concordia, Marquette, University of Wisconsin-Madison, UWM, and also there's a high school, Jerome I. Case High School in Racine. So lots of local connections, lots of people doing good stuff. Awesome. That's all, all great stuff. Uh, would you mind just telling us again the name of your book, Susan, and how people can get it, and then the best way to uh, reach out and get information? Oh, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. So the name of my book is Permission to Thrive, My Journey from Grief to Growth. And you can get that by going to my website at susanangelmiller.com or purchasing it directly through Amazon. And um, if you're interested in uh, soda in uh, the Student Organ Donation Advocate Group, it's um, just go to sodanational.org. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I want to thank all of my guests today, Jerry Wolf and Kara Olson and Susan Angel Miller. Thank you for sharing your very personal family journeys with us and for giving us some insight on how you're making a difference in the area of brain cancer research and organ donation. Thank you again for participating. If you'd like information about what we talked about today, or if you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com, or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 to learn more about the ways people and organizations are contributing to making our community uh, very successful, very others-minded, um, uh, compassionate, you can tune in to News Talk 1130 on your radio, or you can go to Newstalk1130.com on your computer, or you can listen on your cell phone via the iHeartRadio app. I encourage you to visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows. And you can now also now listen on demand, which means Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. So if you can get an internet connection, you can listen to this interview and many other wonderful interviews. If you or someone you love has gone or is going through a cancer journey, just know that there are people that understand your situation. They understand your concerns, your questions, your uncertainty, your, your pain. Don't be afraid to reach out to them as we discussed. I think all of us today uh, could say that we would love to help anyone along their journey in whatever way possible. Or if we can't provide immediate help, we can certainly point you to someone who could. I'd like to just encourage everybody to remember that your life has purpose and there's a reason why you've been on the journey that you've been on. There's a magnificent story waiting to be told and you are the author. Every day you have a chance to write a new page in that story. So what do you want your story to say? What do you wanna share? 
How do you want to make an impact in this world in some way? However you choose to do that, I'm confident you will be a blessing to one or many, as Jerry and Kara were to Eric and Susan to her daughter, Laura, and you will be giving a blessing in the process, like the Wolf Fellowship and the books that Susan authored, as well as by sharing important information about organ donations that can save lives. So thank you for listening today and have a great day.